Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of Bible and Breakfast with Basketball Dads. I'm excited to be here with uh, Roger Eastrum. He's an assistant coach at Lipscomb University and, and a good friend of mine. But uh, Roger, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, Andrew, I appreciate it very much. It's my pleasure, and uh, it's, it's, it's an honor. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to all the podcasts you've had. You've had some incredible guests on, and it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to listen. It's been fun to, to watch you really grow in this area as well. I, I love what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate it. And it's, uh, you know, definitely a growing opportunity for me, which is kind of why I started it. But love learning from guys like you and not only as basketball coaches, but as, as husbands and dads. So I appreciate right. it. And for, for those that might not know, Roger, he was actually an assistant coach at Stetson, where I'm at now, uh, a few right. years ago, and found out that we live in the same neighborhood. So that's, that was, right. that's, kind of, that's kind of a cool fun fact. Yeah, my, fam <laughs> my family would love to move back there tomorrow. They love it. We had a great time there. Yeah, for sure. Well, Roger, just wanted to start out asking a little bit, what, what's God been teaching you recently? I know the world's been crazy and basketball, yeah. you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on with all that, but what's some stuff that God's been teaching you recently? Yeah, well, there's been quite a few things and, you know, God's always trying to teach us things if we're quiet enough to, to listen and, and hear his voice through all that. But I think for most of us in the, the quarantine, we've had an opportunity to, to reevaluate a lot of things and um, one of the things I think that the quarantine taught all of us is that, you know, a, a lot of our excuses have been time. And we've talked about how, you know, I would do this or that if I had more time. Well, that excuse is out the door, you know, because we've had plenty of time. So if you didn't do the things that you said you wanted to do, it's not a time issue. It's more of a heart issue. So uh, I had to reevaluate a lot of different things. And uh, most of those are just daily habits, honestly. And, um, you know, one of the first things is just. Uh, a quiet time, you know, making sure you're you're really spending time alone with God every single day and um, making that a habit. And, you know, you don't want to make your, your time with God something you just check off a list to do. But I think God can use those habits to develop hearts. And um, so that's, you know, a, a thing that's been really good for me is to develop that habit of consistently getting up in the morning and spending time with him first thing. And uh, th that's that's been really big. Um, another thing I I am a want to be reader, if you will. Um, <laughs> I've got a I've got a lot of books that I've bought that I've never read, and uh, you know a lot of that's been because of time. And so I've just decided during the quarantine, you know, there's not a whole lot on TV anyway, and TV's been a time waster of mine through the years. Um, just turn the TV off and develop a habit of consistently reading every day. So now you, you're starting to work your way through some books and some of that. And, you know, you've heard it said before, I don't know who it was. I think it was Mark Twain, but um, you know, those who can read and don't read are no better off than those who can't read. And so that was me. I just, I didn't spend a whole lot of time reading. And so it's been good to get back into that habit and, and read a whole lot more. And of course, working out and all those different things that are, that are important and develop those habits. And um, that's just something that God's been teaching me. And um, another thing, obviously, you've got a lot of family time uh, during the quarantine. And, and for a lot of families, it was, it was a great time for our family. We really struggled with it. Uh, there's just a lot of different things. I've got um, twin boys who are 12 years old and, you know, they're coming into manhood now, hitting puberty and, and just a lot of stuff going on with them. And um, there's a lot of friction. And, and for me, you know, I want to be a father who is a, a good father and, and teaches them discipline and those kind of things. But I could tell there was friction going on with my sons and myself. And so I had to reevaluate a lot of things. And 
you know, God made it really clear to me one day. And, and while it's really important to develop those disciplines in your kids and those kinds of things as well, he made it really clear. The question was, um, do your kids feel the love of God more than they feel the hand of your discipline? And that really just stopped me in my tracks. You know, I just got to thinking, you know what, uh, it's important to discipline and those kind of things, but, you know, they've got to feel the love of God through all that process. And I'm not sure they were for a long while for, for me. So that was something that was good that had to reevaluate. Um, and then the other thing was just, you know, all the craziness in the world that you hear in um, with everything that's happened in the last three or four months, uh, it, it gets confusing. And, you know, you just go back to an old scripture that, that most of us learned when we were first starting to learn scripture and all of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Just trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will drag your paths. And um, you know, if, you, if you listen to the news and all that, you, just, you don't know what to believe on so many different issues um, that you just got to trust God. And you know, one of our old pastors used to say all the time, don't let the world teach you theology. And, you know, it's if, if you listen to a lot of the voices that are out there, uh, it's going to be some bad theology. So you just got to control the narrative and make sure that you're listening to the right voice and really just be tuned in with God through that. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you were talking about, you know, when we develop habits, you know, they develop our hearts. And right. I think have, having those healthy habits is so powerful. And um, yeah. I'm glad to hear, you know, it's awesome to hear that you kind of picked up reading. What, what were some good books that you've either read during quarantine or that you're currently on right now? Right. Well, um, I, I, it's been good because I, I usually read pretty much just leadership type books. And so I've decided to read some different books, too. And some of them are just easy biography type reads and some of that. So um, I read Unscripted, uh, the Ernie Johnson story, which mm -hmm. was really good. Of all things, my wife got me to read Capital Gains with Chip Gaines, you know, who is uh, on the <laughs> awesome. Fixer Upper show on HGTV, but really was a good read. And uh, just yeah. to see his heart, his heart for God and, you know, how God has worked in his life and some of that. And uh, Compete Every Day by Dick Thompson was it was a good book. And um, Dangerous Prayers by Craig Groeschel was a really good book, really challenges you about your prayer life. And some of that um, just started to read um uh, fiction book, which I never read fiction, um, but it's a book called Terminal List by Jack Carr. So I just picked that up and started reading it. Um, that's a few of them. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, you know, you've you've worked for a few head coaches in your career. I know, you know, most right. recently you're with with Lenny Acuff at Lipscomb. But, right. talk, you know, talk a little bit about your family and your twin boys. And obviously during the season, things can get a little crazy. But can you talk a little bit just about the dynamic of maybe balancing your time as a division one assistant coach and your family yeah. and how, how that all correlates. Right. Well, first of all, my wife is uh, Jennifer and, you know, she has been foundational in all of what I'm doing as a coach, you know, just uh, um, her ability as a wife to support what I'm doing is, has been huge. It makes it all possible really. And uh, she's been great with that, but I've got twin boys, Dane and Logan, who are 12 years old, like I said, and, um, it's a difficult balance, but it's one that I've always felt was, was really important. And honestly, I've been fortunate since I've been a, a father, I've worked for three different head coaches and I've been fortunate that all three of those coaches really get it. They understand the, the balance of family and, and um, they understand that family is more important than your job. 
And it's, so I've been really fortunate to be with those guys, you know, started with uh, Rick Bird when I was at Belmont and then uh, Casey Alexander when we were at Stetson and then Lipscomb and now Lenny Acuff. And uh, again, all three are tremendous, but Coach Acuff has been, uh, he's been instrumental in the last year. Uh, our relationship is, has been great, but he has taught me so many different things um, as a leader, as a husband, and just reemphasize some things. And um, you know, one of the things he, he's taught with, with family is he continues to say, you only get one chance at this, don't mess it up. And it's been great. And, um, you know, great leaders will talk about things consistently. And that's one thing that he does a lot is he continues to talk about family and making sure that we are taking the time as, as assistant coaches to be with our families and encouraging it. And, um, uh, you know, that, that's a huge relief when you think about it. All, the bosses I've worked with, they all wanted me to be with family. And if I ever needed to do something, uh, I could ask and do it. But it's different when that leader is consistently asking and saying, hey, what are you doing with your family? Do you need time? Um, don't you dare think about doing whatever with our program when something's going on with your family. You need to be there. Don't miss out on those opportunities. And uh, uh, I'll even say Coach Jacob is his first uh, recruiting weekend on the job. Uh, you know, if you remember last year in April, we only had one recruiting weekend. And uh, he he went the first night and the next morning and then the rest of Saturday and Sunday, he went and watched his son play in a college baseball tournament. And then his daughter got baptized on Sunday night in Alabama. And he was there for that in our only recruiting weekend. And I know a lot of coaches can say, why in the world would he be missing recruiting? Well, he taught me a valuable lesson that it's just more important to do the things that you really need to do with your family. And honestly, we ended up signing two great players in that class and it didn't, didn't phase us at all. You know, if, if God's uh, if God's a part of your, your job and you're recruiting, he's going to bring the right people into your program. Yeah. I think that's so important. And it's so cool. You know, it's one, one common thing I've heard doing this podcast is, you know, so many of these coaches, work for great bosses. And I think that's right. so huge because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had at times where, you know, it's maybe been a struggle, but just working for a guy who understands that. And obviously at Stetson with Donnie Jones, he's, he's the same way, just family so important. And I think working for guys like that is huge. So I'm glad that you're in that situation. And obviously you still right. get the job done, even, you know, even though you're able to spend, spend time with your family and you don't feel like you have to be in the office all the time, you're still, right. you know, Jeff Goodman came out with a list um, of top five <laughs> assistant coaches. And I know you yeah. were on that list and I know coach, I know coach, you, you would say you shouldn't be on that list, but I think I you're, you're one of the best, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm in the top three in our own staff. So I <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, you, you do have a great staff, but I think you should be on the list coach. And I, I want to ask you a little bit, saying that. why, why do you think you, you get put on a list? I want to hear your perspective of maybe why, why would somebody put you on that list? What does, what are they seeing that you do that, that makes that important? Yeah, I have no idea. You'll you'll have to ask some of those guys who voted. But, I, I, but honestly, probably some of it's just longevity and being a part of uh, of winning programs, and you know, to, to see um, our program have the success it's had here in the last few years. Uh, I know that's that's a big part of it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that any of the coaches were that were voted on the list were not part of successful programs. So I think that you know 
when, when you have some success, people notice. And that doesn't mean that other guys who are in programs who maybe aren't having as much success aren't doing a phenomenal job themselves. You know, they just maybe haven't reaped the the, the rewards of, of all their hard work. But, you know, they're still doing a great job and doing doing great things as, as a coach. Yeah. And, you know, obviously people, you talk about the success you've had. And I know a couple of years ago you guys made that run in the NIT with Garrison Matthews mm-hmm. and a few other you know, great players, but can you talk just a little right. bit about that, that experience um, going through the NIT and were you guys expecting that to happen or what, what kind of was the mindset throughout that, those few weeks? Right. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It was, it was a really fun time. You know, we, we use the word magical a lot and, and it really was, um, but to take you back a little farther, you know, we had made the NCAA tournament the year before and brought back a lot of, of players to, to the team the next year. That next year, you know, we, we had a great year. We beat SMU and TCU on the road and um, had a lot of really good wins and, and came into the, the conference play playing well, then played really well in conference play, number one seed, and then got upset in the championship game. And honestly, our guys were just demoralized. They, they couldn't believe that, you know, that we had lost it because they, they just, you know, they had this belief that they were going to win no matter what. And, um, and we didn't win it. We we had an outside shot at getting an at large bid, um, but that that didn't happen. And so we we played in the NIT, and really our guys were disappointed at first. And then we went, had to go on the road to to Davidson and play a really good Davidson team. Um, so that was going to be a hard task over there for sure. And our guys uh, went over there, and we were fortunate enough to get a win at Davidson. And it was that moment our guys got excited again about playing and said, you know what, let's go win this thing. And so then they sent us uh, back to North Carolina to play UNC Greensboro. And we were told that UNC Greensboro was the first team that was left out of the tournament. So they, they were the next team to make the NCAA tournament. So we go over there and and we, uh, we, we win handily at their place. Our guys played terrific. So we come back home. Then they send us back to NC State and get <laughs> into North Carolina again. And uh, NC State couldn't use the regular arena uh, for the NIT, and so they played at the old Reynolds Coliseum. And honestly, it was the absolute best environment I've ever been a part of in 30 years of coaching. It was incredible how loud it was in that building, and uh, uh, we ended up playing great. We just went toe-to-toe with them the whole way and ended up winning the game. And uh, you, know, you think about Reynolds Coliseum and all the great players that have played in that building through the years, just not only for NC State, but the ACC players of, you know, Michael Jordan and Lynn Bias and Ralph Sampson and the list goes on and on. Well, Garrison Matthews scores 44 points that game and sets the record for the most points ever scored by an opponent in that in that building. So it was just an incredible night. And then to know when you win that game, you're going on to Madison Square Garden playing the Final Four, which was which was incredible. So. Um, then we, we head up to Madison Square Garden, have Wichita State in the first game, which is a tremendous program. Greg Marshall does a great job. Those guys are really tough. And uh, we're down and make a good run at the end of the game, come back and win the game to move on to the championship game. And uh, then we run into to Texas. And honestly, we were, we were gassed at that point, And they were kind of our kryptonite. They were long and athletic. And really, we got nothing easy offensively against them. So... They end up losing that game, but it was unbelievable experience for those guys um, to take, you know, who would have thought that not making the NCAA tournament would end up being a good thing. Um, but in hindsight, looking at it, being able to, to move all the way to the championship game and 
have the kind of exposure that we had uh, throughout that whole run was was tremendous and something that that our our guys will will never forget. It's an unbelievable experience. Yeah, I, rem- I remember watching your run that year, and it was really fun to watch. And I specifically remember uh, the NC State game and how good of a game that was, how loud the arena was. And I yeah. remember one of the turning points towards the end of the game. I don't know if you can call it a turning point, and maybe you remember this. I'd love to hear. But you guys ran a baseline out of bounds play, and I think right. uh, it was like a, a four low set. You pop someone up to the wing, threw the ball, in, and then set a pin down for your inbounder to come to the corner and get the ball. Right. But then there was a, f- a foul or a timeout was called or something, and you guys ran the exact same play. But you know, as he came off the pin down screen, he he went back door, and you guys got an easy right. layup and. I don't remember exactly how it was set up, but do you remember that timeout or specifically that play and and what was maybe set oh, yeah. at that time? Definitely, yeah, that was a, a play we ran it for Matt Rose, who's one of our better shooters, and uh, mm-hmm. so he he came off of it. And of course, they're ready for him as a shooter to come off, and he just back cut on it instead. And and just a that's just one of the counters that we had to that play mm-hmm. that we were that we would run. And you know, Casey Alexander did such a tremendous job of uh, of really executing at. Out, out of timeout plays. I mean, he's the way that, that he develops his playbook is tremendous. And so we had a lot of counters to, to every single play that we ran. So it was, it was fun to watch him as a coach really grow and develop during that time as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that was just one of those turning points. And I thought, I was like, man, when you, when you guys made that play, I knew that game mm-hmm. was over. Just, it, you could just feel, feel something happen. But yeah, coach, one last question. I'll tell, well, I'll tell you another oh, go ahead, go ahead. important, important point of that whole, game right there you know Gerson has 44 and it, it's amazing uh the, the way he plays and um he gets a, a chance toward the end of the game we're down and the ball gets reversed to him after a steal and he's somewhat open and, and Garrison you know, he's not shy he, he'll take some questionable shots or some really tough guarded shots and uh and the ball came to him and it, he was gonna be a tough shot but one that he's taken in the past but he saw Kenny Cooper open on the wing and he passed up the shot and gave it to Kenny and had faith in Kenny and Kenny knocks down the three to put us up. And, uh, you know, his unselfish, and you can say a lot about Garrison because he scored so many points, but he was an unselfish player as well. And that was one of the keys to our team is that nobody cared who got the credit. We just wanted to win. And, uh, that was a huge play that probably a lot of people didn't understand that Garrison gave up the chance to, to make the, that play because somebody else had a better chance. Yeah, I remember that play too. I do remember yeah. that, and I think I've heard you. I've heard you talk about that play before too. But yeah, it's so important to be unselfish like that, and you, it right. took you guys over the, over the hump. So, coach, one last question for you. You know, as you, you know, obviously you're at a a, a religious school, and um, right. you're a, a Christian man. But what are what are some ways that you display your faith through coaching? Wow. Um... That'd be a great question to ask our players to, to hear. I'd like to hear their answers, <laughs> see, what, see what they say, because um, you know they see things differently than maybe you do. But I, I don't know. I think for me, it's just uh, the, you know the old John Gordon book, The Carpenter, which was it's it's a fable, but it's one of the best leadership books that's out there. Um, just to love, serve, and care, and you know you've just got to build relationships and and love people and care for them and serve them in the process. And, and with that, you get a chance to, uh, to share your faith that you get to know them. Hopefully you get to live your faith out and they ask questions, but uh, beyond that, you have to have the boldness to, to talk about Jesus and uh, to make him a part of your daily conversation to not shy away from it. Um, but, but, you know, Jesus is, is so important to every aspect of my life and I can't 
compartmentalize that and not talk about it. I need to talk about it. And just what he has done in my life and the, um, you, you talk about scripture, talk about um, uh, just di- different things that you can relate back to scripture, just find things in their life to talk about. And uh, that's how I, I do it for the most part. Yeah, that's awesome, Coach. I know you've been a huge encouragement to me. And ever since we met, you know, a few years ago, uh, I've been a great friend and always enjoy getting your calls. But thank you. Thank you so much for taking time with us this morning. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I love talking with you. My pleasure. Andrew, I appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, not not this one, but many of the other coaches who are on coming on. It's it's been a real (laughs) pleasure to, to listen to all the different coaches talk about different things and what's going on. So thanks for doing this and uh, look forward to listening to more. You're welcome. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for watching and we'll see you next time on Bible and Breakfast.